You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. Welcome back to The Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, in the house here, Wednesday afternoon, September 13th, just before Donald Trump's planned dinner with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. No, this is not your nightmare of Jeb Bush or Marco Rubio becoming president. This is Donald Trump being, well, Donald Trump. What many of us warned about, what many of us predicted, and now those that foisted him upon us will not lift a finger to do anything to deter this man from screwing the base, to force him to actually abide by his uh, political and campaign promises. And basically, we're left out in the cold with Democrats now controlling all three branches of government. Other than that, we're having a great week, as always. Um, get us at iHeart, as always. Um, I'm really happy that they have taken us on, and you could download our show on their app at any time. In addition, we will have a very special announcement in the coming weeks, God willing, as we're looking to expand the truth. And as we note pretty much every show, there is a dearth, a deficit of truth on the so-called right. The biggest thing we can do now, aside from standing for what's right, Micah 6-8, proposing the right policies, the right principles on any given fiscal, economic, domestic, foreign policy issue, charting a new course, a new party, a new movement, but temporarily, the, the best thing you can do is get in Trump's face and pressure him. Yes, it is true that Ryan and McConnell long ago gave over control of Congress to, to the Democrats. But does that mean that Trump, who promised to rectify that, for whom people voted precisely as a response to the GOP betrayal in Congress, for him to go ahead and give control of the White House to Democrats, to nominate and appoint all of his advisors, cabinet secretaries, people that are downright Democrats, sympathetic to Democrats on fiscal uh, and national security issues, that is all his fault. That is a betrayal. So I don't want to hear this business that you're hearing on some of the talk radio shows. Well, Ryan and McConnell, they were, they were against us. So uh, Donald Trump is just responding to them and saying, screw it, I'll work with the Democrats. Again, that's like saying, hey, North Korea is threatening South Korea. We're just going to go and bomb South Korea for them. Yeah, let's stick it to conservatives because, well, the establishment is sticking it to conservatives, so let's stick it to conservatives. Um, And and, and that's the point. We're like those people tied up on the ground, uh, desperately captured by the political establishment. Everyone thought Trump was the hero. He comes along. Everyone thinks he's going to come and untie us, and he goes and kicks us in the head. Well, did he cause it to begin with? No, but he is no longer the solution. But the more important thing is, as I always note, he is very sensitive to conservative criticism. 
So the worst thing you could do strategically is do everything you can to ignore this guy. And I want to start with foreign policy and we'll then move on to domestic policy as the show progresses and time permitting. I'm kind of losing my voice. As you could hear, I got one of these colds that, of course, come with the territory as the weather changes and the three little boys each trade turns getting these colds. And by the way, never, ever eat the leftovers of your kids. That is just, I don't care how much you hate throwing food in the garbage. It's just not worth it. You will always get sick from it. But I digress. Anyway, we know Trump is meeting tonight with Pelosi and Schumer. This is now a paradigm shift. He loves it. He loves the attention he's getting from the media, the fawning press. He's going to discuss amnesty. Um, Lovely. We're going to try to get back to that. Obviously, how to abolish the debt ceiling and phony tax reform which, as we've said a number of times, is not the issue of our time, is not what we should be focusing on. And even to the extent there's what to do on that issue, we're never going to get any good out of it. You know, stuff that we would want to get. It's going to be a net interception, a waste of time, and, you know, just completely black out the debt, healthcare, immigration, foreign policy, judicial reform issues that we need to focus on, cultural Marxism, you name it. But foreign policy first. Mattis, McMaster, and Tillerson are Democrats. So the Democrats now control our foreign policy. Uh, This is Obama's third term of foreign policy. You know, it's funny. They all say, well, at least, Daniel, at least we didn't elect Hillary. Well, we kind of did. You know, it's funny. I'm just thinking, Laura Ingram, you know, I used to go on her show back in the day. She used to have me. She said, She put this out on Twitter. Just think of the deals Hillary and her pal McCain would have done together to damage America. Oh, uh, really? So so that's an excuse now? So we're going to excuse, we're going to dumb down our expectations to the point where, well, Hillary would have always been worse. What do you mean would have been? She's done with. She's over. No one's ever going to vote for her again. She was defeated. Trump is president. Get in his face all of the people who foisted him upon us. If you really care about the issues, if you really thought that the Trump agenda is Donald Trump, make it happen. You own it. You broke it. Fix it. Instead, they tiptoe around this guy. It's unbelievable. So, like I said, you could blame Ryan and McConnell for giving Congress to the Democrats. But the fact that the executive branch has been given over is not an excuse. And like I've said on a number of occasions, there are a lot of things that Donald Trump can do as president unilaterally, um, you know, despite the juggernaut from Congress. You know, again, before we get back to McMaster and Madison, I know I kind of have diarrhea of the brain here, just uh, moving it, weaving in and out. But I, I think this is important before I forget. To this day, Trump has not gotten rid of the congressional exemption from Obamacare. That is something Obama did illegally through his Office of Personnel Management, his OPM. Trump could just simply with the stroke of a pen overturn that. Do it. Now. He complains, oh, they're not repealing Obamacare, even though Trump supports the key elements of Obamacare, but whatever. Um, Here's your leverage. Make them feel the pain. And that's a hundred zero issue. Everyone's for that. Why should Congress get an exemption? There's no better populist issue than that. Do it. Oh, whoops, because all of his advisors are Democrats. I forgot. 
the few that aren't are obviously establishment Republicans. Um, you know, one of the things I've been talking about, I'll put in show notes, I wrote an article on the refugee determination. The president in September, every September, has the ability to unilaterally set the cap for the number of refugees we're bringing in for the next fiscal year. He could set that at 100,000, 200,000, 50,000, or zero, or close to it. Go do it. No one's stopping you. This is your time. But, well, Jared is stopping him because, by the way, let's not forget, Jared evidently has been working with Dick Turbin, the chief open border zealot in the Senate, for three months on immigration. So Democrats control this administration. Democrats control it. But like I said... It's worse than Democrats controlling it. It's worse than Jeb or Rubio being president because if they would have been doing this, you would have had, had, have had outrage from Drudge and Laura and Sean and Rush and the whole apparatus there. Instead, now it's crickets. It's actually defending him, how clever it is what he's doing. I've said this before, that the Republicans are to the Democrats what the Muslim Brotherhood is to Al-Qaeda. Um, and in many respects, Trump is the ultimate Muslim Brotherhood. And what I mean by that is, if you don't get the analogy, that the Muslim Brotherhood preps the ground for Al-Qaeda and allows them to succeed. When I say Al-Qaeda, I mean all the jihadist groups, Hezbollah, you name it, ISIS, whatever, um, and all of the state actors from Saudi Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and, and Turkey to Iran. They're able to accomplish what they would have never otherwise done because the Muslim Brotherhood puts down roots in the Western countries, dresses up as civil rights activists, ensures that they neutralize any effective counterterrorism tool, homeland security tool, and downright controls our homeland security policies, ensure we have endless uh, open borders, ensure the willful blindness on the part of the FBI, and that's what enables them to do things they would otherwise have no ability to do. Because they're the arsonists dressing up as the firefighters. Same thing with Republicans, and now Trump is even worse. It's a false opposition. It's an Orwellian opposition that does nothing but quell the natural rebellion we would have in response to the Democrat policies. Except now, we are operating exclusively in the world of the Democrats. Every single issue. There's not a single issue for which we're charting our own course. We are operating within the confines of their worldview of their premise that's what we are doing today this degree of paralysis that everything they propose they control even when they lose elections it's not just a matter of oh republicans aren't rolling back what they did it's even the future desires of democrats they now they now set the terms of debate they they are now literally from a minority in the senate and in the House, are controlling all three branches. Obviously, the courts, they always control no matter what. And they are enabling an agenda that, frankly, they couldn't accomplish under Hillary. There would be too much blowback. But Republicans are now worse off than when they just controlled Congress. There's less opposition to what they're doing. So not only aren't they rolling back, they're now giving them more new debt ceiling authority, new budget funding, another 15 billion boondoggle disguised as Harvey funding. And it's there's a lot of overblown need for federal intervention there. And that's a whole other story. 
And then, you know, and I have another story out today. And again, I hope you guys are able to follow because I just don't have time to go through all my articles. Um, but, you know, follow me at Conservative Review, follow our email list, subscribe to it. Basically, quietly, Republicans just, <laughs> you know, I'm just violating my thing. I'm, go- I'm jumping to domestic policy first. We'll get back to foreign policy in a minute. But on domestic policy, they are now reauthorizing the S-chip program for another five years. Why is that significant? Because here is a government-run healthcare program that is completely superfluous. It's not needed. We have Obamacare. This is unbelievable. The, the rationale back in the day, again, rather than dealing with the problems of healthcare inflation on the supply side and the culprit, which is government in the first place, and empowerment of the insurance cartel, like we've spoken, spoken about on so many occasions, they said, well, we have a problem. What about all the children from families that aren't poor enough to receive Medicaid but are still kind of poor? So they created the S-CHIP program. There's now 8.9 million children on it at a cost of $15 billion a year. Here's the deal. We have endless Medicaid, they expanded the eligibility of Medicaid. Then they subsidized for so-called private insurance anyone earning up to 400% of the poverty level. And then anyone over that is screwed, obviously. Plus all the state bailout funds, the state funding. So they fund the state, they fund the consumer, they fund the insurance companies, subsidy, subsidy. I thought we, this, this is why we had universal coverage now. This was Obamacare. So could we at least then just discontinue S-CHIP? And indeed, the, the drafters of Obamacare envisioned that. That's why they only authorized funding for another two years for S-CHIP, because they figured we'd phase it out. You don't need it anymore. It's embedded in Obamacare. But in 2015, they extended it for two years. They actually expanded it. Six billion more a year. We, we, we key voted this at the time in our Liberty score. Many people missed it. Almost everyone voted for it. This was when Republicans had the House and Senate, always adding more, more, more. And now with the House, Senate, and the White House, they plan to reauthorize S-CHIP without firing a shot. So they're not even using it as leverage to say, wait a minute, Democrats, if you want this, then you got to repeal Obamacare. You want Obamacare, you're not going to get this. Use it as leverage, if nothing else. But again, that's only a party that shared our values, that operated outside of their premise, of their desire, of their policy initiatives and their goals and principles and aspirations. No, we don't have that. We have a party that fully accepts the premise of the Democrats, and it's just a way of finding some sort of fake WWE fight in order to create a rationale for still voting for them. This at its core is what Trump was going to fix to negotiate hard. Now he's showing them how to, neg- how to capitulate in style. We're just going to give the Democrats everything they want. You know, he also met with Heidkamp and Donnelly and, and Manchin, all the people you need to defeat in order to bolster a better majority in the Senate. He's now praising them, even though they've done nothing to moderate their positions. They're complete frauds. They're not moderate Democrats, one iota. So this is where we are. There is no alternative vision in Washington. It is the complete unibrow party. Now, back to foreign policy. Mattis, McMaster, and Tillerson. These dudes are horrible. So Tillerson now is demanding that Israel give back $75 million in supplemental 
congressional appropriations for missile for their missile defense iron dome program Be, now some of this has to do with turf wars because the state department authorized a certain amount and congress gave them more even though congress constitutionally controls the power of the purse but they want israel to give it back so again we're flushing hundreds of billions you know tens of billions every year into baghdad aka iran's pocket into the islamic government in in kabul all the garbage we're doing in Syria and everywhere else. But Israel, give back your aid. Al-Sisi in Egypt, we're going to cut off aid to you. Literally a continuation of Obama's policies. That's, that's one item. Let's move on. Man, this, this, really, this one really ticks me off. So there's this whole movement now to, um, to defend McMaster. The entire conservative intelligentsia, oh, no, he's great, he's great. I warned you that he's even worse than what's being reported about. And I told you this story. I, I said it before because I heard it from my own sources, but I'm now going to read it to you from PJ Media. This is David Steinberg writing there. And by the way, I've seen it has been independently confirmed by Isra- Israeli media from Israel sources. Let me read this to you. During the week of August 27th, an Israeli delegation met with members of the National Security Council at the White House to discuss the current threat to Israel by the terror group Hezbollah, which, by the way, has now been empowered by all of our interventions, um, literally bailing out Hezbollah and the IRGC from ISIS when we should have just let Allah sort that out, keep it a 50-50 fight. We have expended blood and treasure because some people did die, so we did lose a few soldiers, certainly a lot of money literally handing Iran something they could have never gotten on their own. I don't need to tell you guys that Iran and Hezbollah are a much bigger strategic threat, both in terms of the Hezbollah's presence in America, Western Hemisphere, in terms of Iran attacking our ships, Iran's ability to attack us and our assets. Um, these terror groups don't have any threat outside of attack, outside of inspiring you know, terrorism in our homeland, but that's an immigration problem. That's an FBI problem, as I've always said. But anyway, I continue. Israel believes this threat is currently dire. Um, Yada, yada. Let me read on. Hezbollah has been a U.S. designated foreign terrorist organization since 1997. However, National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster reportedly brought NSC Senior Director on Counterterrorism, Mustafa Javed Ali, to the White House meeting with Israel. Ali, a McMaster appointee, is described by a senior administration source as being opposed to Hezbollah's designation as a terrorist group. Okay. What then transpired at the meeting has been confirmed by PJ Media, by several administration sources, by members of non-governmental organizations involved in national security, and by a source within the Israeli government. The Israeli delegation demanded that Mustafa Ali leave the room. This demand was made despite the clear likelihood that Ali would later be privy to the meeting's materials and discussion. As such, sources speculated that Israel intended to demand, attended, intended the demand to serve as a message to Trump that McMaster's behavior has constituted a subversion of Trump's stated Middle East policy. Um, let's continue. I'm just skip around here because we're running out of time. As it's been widely reported, Trump's chief of staff, General Kelly, has instituted tight restrictions on information and contacts reaching the president. Additionally, Kelly has been said to be working closely with McMaster on issues related to the flow of information within the admin. 
Friction between McMaster and the Israeli delegation did not end with Israel's demand that Ali leave the room. Sources reported that McMaster went on to explicitly dismiss the Israelis' specific concern about Hezbollah. In particular, the Israelis expressed concern that the safe zone currently being established within Syria, an idea that had been vociferously supported by Hezbollah's sponsor Iran, would immediately become a safe zone for Hezbollah to operate. McMaster was said to blow off this major Israeli concern and to be yelling at the Israelis during the meeting. You, you could read more. We'll uh, link to this. But this is where the Trump foreign policy is. Trump's words are meaningless. He, 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 the guy's a buffoon. He doesn't even know what's going on. He has no control over his own sovereignty, his own office. Mustafa Ali, these are the guys running our foreign policy. I don't even think Jeb Bush's administration would have been this, this bad. Uh, but Hezbollah is the consummate threat, not just to Israel, but to, to America, of any NGO terror group, much more so than ISIS. But instead, what they've done is this stupid strategy of focusing like a laser beam on, we have to destroy ISIS. I'm like, what? Huh? Like, you're, you're, you're bailing them out from Iran. And what, what, are you, what are you doing? You're bailing out Iran. And meanwhile, we have literally handed over Iraq is now, aside from the Kurdish parts, which we won't allow them to expand their territory because we won't recognize their independence and we won't help them because we're supporting the stupid Baghdadi government. We are literally allies with Iran. America is the biggest terrorist organization now, the American government. I hate to say it. That's what Ted Cruz said during Obama's administration when they were funding Iran, and now we're doing the same thing. But this is part of a broader failed strategy. Let me read to you from a Reuters article that our buddy Jordan Schachtel, I'm glad we had him on our last podcast, he wrote about the Islamic State First strategy. The plan does not include an escalation of U.S. military activity in Syria and Iraq. Trump's national security aides argued that a more muscular military response to Iranian proxies in Syria and Iraq would complicate the U.S.-led fight against Islamic State, which they argued should remain the top priority. Mattis and McMaster, as well as heads of Sencom, a bunch of Arabists, have opposed allowing U.S. commanders in Syria and Iraq to react more forcefully to provocations by the IRGC, Hezbollah, and other Iranian-backed Shia militias. The advisors are concerned that the more permissive rules of engagement would divert U.S. resources from defeating the remnants of Islamic State. Moreover, looser rules could embroil the United States in a conflict with Iran, and we're terrified of them while U.S. forces remain overstretched. Gee, that's the point! We're wasting our troops on Afghanistan, Syria, and Iraq when we should be using soft power to support our allies, Israel and the Kurds, and Sisi, to deal with that, and preserving, conserving our military to deal with Iran. Iran is the problem. You know, today you had the debate over Rand Paul's AUMF. He, he was saying it's time to finally have a debate about Iraq and Afghanistan. 16, 15, 16 years later, what are we doing there? And, you know, it, it went down 61 to 36. Ironically, most of the, the people voted with him were Democrats. Now, they were just doing it because they're out of power. I mean, they're in power, but officially they're out of power. So, you know, why not lodge your protest, even though they had no problem with what Obama was doing? Because ironically, Trump is just continuing what Obama's doing. So I don't know what their issue is. And it was just um, 
Rain Paul, Mike Lee, and Dean Heller, who ironically is in the right position on this, maybe for the wrong reasons. But, um, you know, a lot of people were concerned, well, you know, you can't take away the AUMF without offering a new one. But whatever it is, the, the point is, then, then advance a new one. I think we should deauthorize force in Afghanistan and Iraq and write one for North Korea and, and, and Iran. But, you know, you can't do it all, and neither should we. But what we are doing in Iraq, I, I want you guys to just understand how perverse it is, the strategy in Iraq. We are using the 2002 authorization. There's a 2001 authorization was against any terror group that was behind 9-11 or anyone that harbors those groups or individuals. So that's how we went into Afghanistan because the Taliban harbored al-Qaeda. Fine. 2002, there was an AUMF authorization of use of force against Saddam Hussein. Saddam Hussein is gone. Right now, the dynamics have changed literally 180 degrees. We're now engaging in a military conflict in in Iraq, not against Iraq, on behalf of the, there is no real Iraq, but on behalf of the Baghdadi government, which is Iran, literally puppets of the IRGC, in order to fight ISIS, which is no longer a strategic threat, never really was in terms of military action in the Middle East. And in fact, they were somewhat of a hedge against Iran that would have forced them to confront them. You would have had a bloody battle. We bailed them out and have now given ground to the IRGC. The, The commanders in the field admit this and they have no problem with it. They literally have no problem with it. Um, it, it. It is just, it is just unbelievable. Unbelievable. We shouldn't even get involved. But now that we're involved, to say that you have to kill ISIS in order to give Iran and Hezbollah free land, but not go after Iran, is, is ass backwards. What are we doing there? Again, Iran arguably is more part of the original AUMF than what we are doing now because Iran directly harbored Al-Qaeda. Funded it, helped the transport. That's been confirmed. It was confirmed by the 9-11 Commission. So, but, but instead of fighting them, we're fighting for them, for the people we should be fighting pursuant to the AUMF. That's how outdated it is. This is so backwards. Again, I want to plug our list of do's and don'ts. We're going to link to in show notes before I forget. I want to just jot this down as a note to myself so you guys could see it. Um, You know, my list of do's and don'ts, a very simple, this is my version of a AUMF, what we should and should not be doing, and Congress needs to have a say in it. The people need to have a say. But anyway, we are operating within the Democrat policies. I want, I want to just give over one thing. I'm not going to read this inside, but Caroline Glick's latest column at the, at the Jerusalem Post, how we are so in bed with the Iranian puppets in Baghdad that not only aren't we supporting the Kurds on their, at their behest, we are actually, and this is really maddening, this started under Obama in 2014, the Obama administration cut a deal with uh, the, the Baghdadi government to give them back the archives of Iraqi Jewish history. Basically, over the years, 
the Iraqi governments have, the Islamic governments have just purloined the Jewish communities. There's no Jews left there um, because you can't live there anymore if you're Jewish. But no one seems to talk about that. But they purloined there. There's just uh, just a rich history. They, they were there for 2,600 years, long before Islam ever existed. This gets, dates back to Nebuchadnezzar and the, you know, the first commonwealth, the destruction of the first temple when they were exiled. Um, they, they started a very successful civilization there. And there's just endless literature and records and just real, you know, historical treasures there. And it was housed in some sort of government ministry under Saddam. When the U.S. military came in there, they found it and they sent it back to the national U.S. National Archives to be preserved, you know, in America. They're now giving it back to the Islamic bastards, the Iranian bastards. Now, again, the deal was forged under Obama's administration, but Trump is now executing it now. Why? Say no. In fact, I think we should declare war on the Baghdadi government. I mean, look, we don't need to get involved, but I mean, it's the opposite of what we're doing. Operating within the confines of their strategy. But let's move on. Let's move on to domestic policy. So we got S-chip coming up. There's that. By the way, just to demonstrate to you the problem with, with the way some of our buddies are thinking. A friend of mine has an organization. He put out a press release. President Trump is the most limited government president since Ronald Reagan. I happen to know this man doesn't believe that, and he's very concerned about Trump. But he's too scared to articulate it. This is the problem. If we're all going to tiptoe around the man and blame everything on everyone else, he's the only one who will actually possibly listen to us. But you got to pressure him. We're not doing it. But anyway, the big thing is amnesty. As you guys know, I have fought amnesty for 12 years. I was involved in the 2006 fight, 2007, 2010, and the 2013 Gang of Eight. Each time it got harder and harder. I've never seen anything like this. This is going to be the hardest because Trump is now lending his support with his credibility as the lead border hawk and with admiration from the core base of people that care about sovereignty in this country, unfortunately, he's lending his support to amnesty now, maniacally focused on it. And this is a complete scam. It's not just 800,000 people. The Migration Policy Institute goes through the numbers, makes it very clear that once this thing gets rolling, it really winds up being 3.3 million. And then politically, it's going to lead to the parents, which is about 5.5 million. These are 5.5 million new Democrat voters. We're done. Texas and Arizona are gone. This is insanity. It's insanity that we'd be doing this while there's a border surge. I have a piece out explaining how um, after the border crossings really, they, they, they plummeted to a 17-year low during the first few months of his presidency precisely because Trump was really, you know, the rhetoric made a difference, which demonstrates this is not a rocket science issue. You just demonstrate. You don't even have to cut off the magnets. You threaten to cut them off. You, under, you tell people, look, you cross the border, you'll never get citizenship which is what Trump said on the campaign. You're never going to get amnesty. Your kids will not get birthright citizenship prospectively, at least henceforth. 
You're not going to have this unfunded liability on the states to educate your kids. You're not going to get welfare. And you will be gone. You're not going to get a job. This is it. We are enforcing the law. We're going to have visa tracking. We're going to have workplace enforcement. We're going to have the border wall. We're going to get rid of the asylum loophole. We're going to get rid of the judicial amnesty by getting the courts out of immigration. We're going to focus on these issues. I guarantee you, border crossings would be down to 1,000 people a year. Yet now, since August, since uh, April, they've gone up every month for four months and now are getting close to the original levels because they sense he's a paper tiger. This is why it is so immoral to focus on amnesty before dealing with our needs. And even the so-called conservatives, the Freedom Caucus, they're way off message. Everyone's agreeing to the premise. Oh, this has to be done. DACA, yes, 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 for sure. But maybe, could we get some border security out of it, please? Which is a farce. That's what we did in 1986 when you pair it together, not ensuring verification of implementation several years before you even discuss amnesty. That, that's the whole lesson from it. They're not demanding that. Everyone has agreed to it. Even people in the past that were with me in fighting it are now all bought out because, well, Trump's doing it. I have a buddy of mine that writes very effective op-eds on this issue, on, you know, the broader immigration issue. Very knowledgeable guy. Um, he works in on the legal side. And he told me he cannot get his op-eds placed anymore in the traditional conservative publications where he used to place them. He said, you know, conservative review is the last last people standing. So this is where we are in immigration. It's disgusting. It's utterly disgusting what is going on. Nobody is speaking for us. Because, again, this is an oligar- oligarchy. They're operating completely within the premise, priorities, rhetoric, parlance, perverted way of thinking of the Democrat Party. The Democrats control all three branches of government. They set the terms. We operate within their structure. You know, I, I've said for a while, and some of you, you know, might have heard this from me before, but my main thesis on politics is this. The Republican Party hasn't changed that much. They were always pretty much an impotent you know, impotent and ineffective party with just some aberrations of Reagan and a couple of years with Newt Gingrich. But what has changed are the Democrats. The Democrats have gotten both way more extreme and more aggressive and bold in their willingness to actually implement their agenda and do what it takes to implement it. You know, there used to be kind of a detente where both parties would wave flags but not really do much to change the ball. Of course, inexorably, things would gradually move to the left, but, you know, even the Democrats, they'd talk about doing certain things but wouldn't ultimately do them in spectacular fashion. That has changed this past generation. Democrats are willing to do whatever it takes with the rise of the alt-left, that's now the entirety of the Democrat Party, they will do whatever it takes. So the consequences of not having an effective opposition to, to what they're doing and an effective alternative to what they're doing is now more evident, more tragic, and more consequential. Because now we're playing with real fire. They're actually implementing their agenda. So we're stuck with the fact that 
it's not just, oh, when you have a Democrat president, but Republican Congress, they don't effectively check the Democrat president. No, it's when you have control of all three branches, they don't check them. And in fact, as I noted, Trump's administration is a Democrat administration. You know, the, the remaining part is establishment Republicans, but that's only a small percentage. It's even worse. They're, they're a bunch of Democrats. Anyway, I didn't get a chance to get to the tax issue. We're probably going to have to get to that next time. But either way, I mean, immigration is the biggest thing. We're never going to get anything good out of this administration. It's quite evident. I mean, I, I'm sad to say that, but we're not going to get anything good in it in an enduring way. You know, you'll have a nice press release, a nice statement, maybe a ceremonial policy here or there. We're not going to get good stuff. The best we can do is just block the bad stuff. And am- blocking amnesty is the biggest thing. You could never take that back. Once you give it, it is done. That sets a new moral, legal, political baseline. And the dominoes will fall soon enough. You'll have all 11 million, probably more than that, amnestied and a b- massive border surge just rushing in, people overstaying their visas um, in order to do that, which is why it's so maniacal to do amnesty without having visa tracking first because, you know, people focus on the border part of it. But we have so many people who come on just tourist visas and, you know, you do want tourism, you do want regular open commerce. But if you have the amnesty, if you have the allurement of amnesty, they're just going to stay and they, they'll know there's no enforcement, um, which is pretty insane. So this is a big issue. I'm going to be all over this in the coming days. We're going to focus on every aspect of, of immigration, the facts, the broader foreign policy issues with Mexico, the effects on Americans, fiscal, criminal, obviously culturally. We're going to focus on every aspect of this issue because someone's got to speak the truth. Someone's got to stand for we, the people. Anyway, we're, we're just about out of time. My throat's killing me. So I'm going to go back to drinking some tea. Thanks for indulging me today. Thanks for listening. God bless y'all. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience.